Hello and welcome to the Oxford Policy Pod. I'm Benjamin Weiser, a Master of Public Policy candidate at the University of Oxford Blavatnik School of Government. And today we're taking a look at the e-liability method, an innovative environmental accounting method that utilizes financial accounting practices to enable adopters to track greenhouse gas emissions through multi-tier supply and distribution chains. The approach has been developed in recent years by Karthik Ramana, Professor of Business and Public Policy at the Blavatnik School of Government, and Robert Kaplan, Emeritus Professor at the Harvard Business School. Today we're joined by Professor Karthik Ramana to discuss his work on the topic. And in addition to being a professor here, Karthik's the Director of the Master of Public Policy Program and the Founder and Director of Oxford's Case Center on Public Leadership. Together, Karthik and Robert Kaplan have written two articles on the e-liability method in the Harvard Business Review, and in 2022, they were recipients of the 63rd annual Harvard Business Review McKinsey Award for their story titled, Accounting for Climate Change. Just last fall, they launched the e-liability Institute, a global nonprofit working to advance the e-liability method globally as the accounting upgrade that will drive green innovation in the future. Thank you for joining us today, Karthik. Let's go ahead and dive right in. Your first article on the e-liability method was published just in 2021. Can you speak a little bit to kind of what sparked the idea for that and the issues that the e-liability method looks to address? Thank you for having me. Um, so when I uh, first came to this topic uh, was sometime in uh, 2021, uh, I was invited to be a discussant at a conference on carbon accounting, uh, actually at the Oxford Said Business School um, down the road. And uh, I was astonished that um, what I had seen as being fairly basic uh, underlying or foundational premises of accounting uh, were not being adhered to in the space of carbon accounting. Uh, so about uh, 15 years ago, I used to teach the required accounting course at the Harvard Business School in the Harvard MBA program. And on the very first day of uh, teaching accounting, we would teach students uh, two things about any accounting system. The first is that it should count everything that is material. And the second is that it should count it only once. I have never encountered anyone over the course of my career who has thought that these are controversial principles. They're pretty basic, simple principles. And yet somehow the entire premise of carbon accounting as it exists today violates both of these principles. Uh, so this was the uh, basis of my discussion uh, at the conference down the street. And um, I went on to say that, uh, in fact, um, the fundamental uh, principles of financial accounting uh, might serve us well in the context of carbon accounting as well. And, um, and in the audience was a longstanding friend and mentor, Bob Kaplan. Uh, Bob uh, has been a giant in the field of accounting for many years, having invented activity-based costing and the balanced scorecard, which are uh, transformational innovations. And he sent me an email after the conference saying, Karthik, I couldn't agree more with you. We should be working on this. And this is perhaps one of the most urgent problems in the world today, climate change, that is. And it seemed like at that moment, we had a fairly simple and actionable solution uh, in the context of addressing climate change. So we said, why not put this together? And that's how it got started. Right. And then since then, I know last, just last fall, you launched the E-Liability Institute as sort of the organizational institution behind this. Can you kind of speak to the role that you see the organization playing in getting this more broadly adopted? Sure. 
So um, just to pick up the story where I left off, um, Bob and I produced maybe the first draft of the e-liability paper in the summer of 2021. And we sent it over to um, the Harvard Business Review to see if they might be interested in it. And normally there's a, you know, a fairly long gestation cycle to those kinds of things. Sometimes it takes about a year. And they got back to us very quickly, I think within a day, saying, we love it. We want to publish it. And we want to publish it in the next issue. So Bob and I looked at each other and said, we must be onto something here. So they did publish it in the next issue. And actually, a few weeks after we published it, we had a phone call with one of the most senior regulators in the world uh, in the space of um, uh, capital markets. And this individual said to us, this is a great idea, guys. Who's doing it? And we looked at him and said, uh, well, quite frankly, nobody's doing it. We just dreamt it up in our offices. And uh, he said to us, well, that's a problem. We can't build a regulation around something that no one's ever done before. So why don't you go get a few companies to try it out and see you know, what they learn from it? Is it cost effective? Does it generate meaningful, useful information? And we thought that was great advice. So um, we decided to reach out to a few of our friends in uh, sort of the business side of the world. And, and we said, you know, would you be interested in piloting this? And a few people got back to us very quickly and said, sure, we'll try it. And so now we're at a place where there are probably about 18 different companies across the Fortune 500 that are in various stages of piloting this. And uh, last... Um, uh, November, we had the opportunity to present this as part of the activities around the G20 in Bali in Indonesia. And um, it was, uh, we got to a point where the volume of requests from uh, companies that were interested in piloting or pioneering this sort of very simple approach to carbon accounting uh, got much greater than our capacity to deliver it because we were just two professors working out of our offices. So we said, well, we should probably have some sort of infrastructure around this. It so happened that um, last year, one of the visiting fellows here at the Blavatnik School of Government, um, uh, a transformational leadership fellow, was Chris Liddell. And Chris had previously served as the CFO of Microsoft. So I went to Chris and I mentioned to him that, look, this is what's happening. And Chris said, well, why don't we create a not-for-profit uh, that will support uh, companies that want to be in this space? And so the e-liability institute was born. Chris became the first uh, chair of the board. And Bob and I have joined the board, uh, me as a technical advisor and Bob as a senior advisor. And, uh, and you know, that's how this is all sort of taken off now. Fascinating. And I think, so kind of going off that, you speak of some of the companies that have taken it up. And can you speak about how some of the challenges, some of the successes that you've seen in some of these pilots more broadly? Yeah. So it might be helpful to just explain uh, at a fairly sort of basic level, what is the e-liability method? So the e-liability method, uh, E stands for environmental. So it's environmental liabilities. It recognizes that when we emit uh, um, CO2 or other greenhouse gases into the atmosphere, we create a liability with respect to nature's balance sheet. And so the e-liability method is basically an approach to simply, comparably, and verifiably track the entire value chain emissions associated with any product or service. So take, for example, a, an iPhone, or for instance, um, you know, an hour of a Zoom podcast or something like that. 
any product or service in the world has some sort of carbon footprint associated with it because at some point in its value chain, it would have involved the use of products or services that emitted atmosphere, uh, uh, greenhouse gases into the atmosphere. How do you simply verifiably and uh, comparably calculate these is what the e-liability method does. It's an algorithm. It's not, we're not standard setters. We're not rule makers. We're academics that provided a basic set of principles and algorithm to actually compute this for any product or service. So as we got companies to pilot this, what we were looking for is how well does this algorithm work? Um, and we were looking in particular for three things. The first is, does the allocation of emissions from uh, the upstream processes in any product or service, as well as uh, joint emissions or overhead emissions from the site or the entity to individual products and services result in meaningful information? Is it information that is meaningful from the perspective of, say, inferring what is the emission associated with an iPhone, if that's your product, or an hour of Zoom call, if that's your product, and so forth? The second is, does that information, does the provision of that information to decision makers in that value chain actually change their decisions? Does it result in decarbonization? Uh, and that's a social uh, issue. Uh, and then the third is, is this whole system cost effective? Um, because of course, if it's prohibitively costly, then that would be a problem. So as we go about these pilots, we're just looking for information along these three dimensions to see, is this something that is uh, meaningful information? Is it decision useful information, decision relevant information? And then of course, um, uh, is this cost effective as a system? So I think with that in mind, kind of looking ahead, for the, uh, with regards, I guess, like a critical mass for adoption, whether it's on a larger global macroeconomic scale or more micro looking at a single supply chain, do you think there's a, sort? what do you think the point is where we kind of take off and snowball to where more people start taking it up all of a sudden? Yeah. I think there's a little bit of a chicken and egg problem. You know, what, again, e-liability is a, um, uh, it's a set of principles that when applied across the economy will provide for us um, effectively the equivalence of financial accounting. It will provide for us the equivalent of what counting GDP does. Now, of course, you know, financial accounting is not perfect. GDP is not perfect. It's met, but they're better than having nothing. I mean, before that, before we had GDP, we had no way of uh, uh, measuring anything close to the economic performance of, of, of economies. And so what this system does is allow you to uh, start getting, again, simple and comparable information. Of course, in order for it to work at scale, it needs to be broadly embraced and adopted. Um, now, that can happen in one of two ways. Um, the first is um, a number of really key companies in uh, a value chain, in an economy, can just embrace it. Um, and that's, in fact, what we're hoping for. I said about 18 companies are now in various stages of piloting this. If we can, say, by the end of next year, have... Uh, I don't know, 100 of the Fortune 500 companies embracing this. Uh, if that uh, number includes uh, companies like Walmart or Amazon that have enormous buying power in their value chains, then, um, you know, you actually don't need much regulatory action because voluntary compliance has, has just shifted the tide. And any company that's not doing it is going to look like it's way behind the times. So that's one sort of element of theory of change. 
But of course, in order for this to work at scale, it needs to work um, in you know all parts of the economy, and that is at some point going to require some regulatory shift. And and currently, what we're seeing is that there are a number of uh, companies that are saying, well. We'd love to do this if we saw that this was the regulatory direction of travel. Um, but as long as the regulators are okay with the current highly inaccurate system, then you know we don't want to make this investment because you know we don't really don't see an upside. So the companies that are embracing this as a pilot are those that tend to have a comparative advantage in producing goods and services at lower emissions than their peers. Think of it for a moment. If the regulators uh, in the financial sector said there's no need for companies to report on their individual performance, they can just report sectoral level performance or they can report, you know, historic performance across a country as a proxy for their own individual performance. Well, most companies that are performing poorly are not going to then invest in producing individual level reports. The only ones that will invest in producing individual level reports are the ones doing well. And that's exactly what's happening in the carbon accounting space. What e-liability principles do is allow people to compete verifiably on emissions reduction. So the only people who want to voluntarily embrace it are the people who have an advantage in that. The people who are coasting by not by by just you know doing nothing are better off just using the industry average. So we are going to require the regulators to get in at some point. We're hoping that before, you know, just because regulatory momentum is much harder to drive than than voluntary action. So before we get to that stage, we'll have got a critical mass of uh, of voluntary adopters on board. Right, and I guess, so I know that's speaking more towards Fortune 500 companies, looking more, I guess, to the other side of the equation, looking at more smaller, medium-sized enterprises that don't necessarily have the same capacity, the same buying power, the same ability to necessarily implement this change. Is there a different approach, I guess, that you're taking to that side of the supply chain or that side of the implementation and adoption question? Yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, what about small and medium enterprises, but also what about sort of not-for-profits, governments, et cetera? Those are, right. So let's take those in turn. Um, So uh, at the end of the day, there are only four primary sources of emissions in the atmosphere. The only things that matter for the purposes of of carbon accounting are what we call direct emissions, right? And so there are only four primary sources of direct emissions that account between them for about 80, 90% of all emissions. So those are emissions coming from internal combustion engines, from external combustion engines, from industrial chemical processes, as well as emissions from agricultural processes. And by agriculture, the vast majority come from cattle farming. So either from um, production of, of beef or from dairy products. Um, So actually, if you focus on just these four processes and the robust direct measurement of these four processes, then the supply chain accounting bit of it, which is what e-liability focuses on, uh, that becomes fairly trivial. That, That part is fairly trivial. So part of where we are focusing our effort on is how do you standardize, how do you reduce the costs associated with the accurate counting and verifiable counting of emissions at source in these four direct uh, um, sort of uh, chemical reactions. If we can figure that out, then actually the rest of the um, 
process, the accounting process, can be routinized through the use of software, which can be relatively inexpensive, can be routinized through the use of blockchain. In fact, this is perhaps the only socially productive use of blockchain that I'm aware of. I'm happy to be educated on other ones, but uh, this is one that I think, you know, is a, is a meaningful application of blockchain. But there are ways in which you can, once you've um, sort of address the standardization of direct chemical reactions uh, and their accounting capture, you can reduce the, the cost compliance. Likewise, we are also um, encouraging and working with governments and not-for-profits. So one of our pilots is actually uh, part of a large hospital um, sort of chain. Uh, and um, we want not-for-profits, obviously, to embrace this because the healthcare sector, uh, which is dominated by not-for-profits, um, uh, is a big source of emissions. Uh, the defense sector, which is, of course, a government sector, is a big source of emissions. So we want them to be uh, measuring this as well. So, so that's, that's a focus for us as well. So I guess kind of looking forward now and 10 years in the future, how would you, what would it take for you to look back and say this was a really successful 10 years for the e-liability method, the e-liability institute? Yeah, so the institute itself, we've created as a finite lived institute uh, uh, for the following reason, because we are uh, in, imagine if for a moment you um, uh, develop principles for GDP accounting. Right. Once you have set that in motion, then there's no reason for your institute to be around forever. You've sort of set it in motion, and then you know there are ways. Of course, you can continually improve it. But um, that so so our uh, uh, aspiration now in the next three to five years is to get these principles embedded into the regulatory infrastructure, to get these embedded into the way companies are counting the emissions associated with their activities. And at the point where we feel like we've gotten to a critical mass, where a substantial fraction of large companies are embracing this, a few key governments have embraced this, a few key regulators have made this part of their um, uh, modus operandi, then we can sort of back away as an institute. So the institute is there effectively as an ecosystem catalyst. Um, we're a not-for-profit institute, so we have no commercial basis for, um, you know, we are funded by philanthropy. And our objective here is really to create as much momentum as is necessary to get to the tipping point. And once we're there, to get out of the way and to let effectively the process work. And I guess one final question, Looking, still looking forward again. I know some of the more recent writing on the topic from your end has been about the potential for using this approach, using the e-liability method as a sort of building block for a carbon tax in the future. How would that look from a I guess from a company standpoint or from a regulatory standpoint in practice? Yeah. So to be clear, um, we're not advocating a carbon tax. Um, we have not taken a view on it necessarily because um, we think that's not a fight we need to fight. Um, but we're saying that if you want to have a carbon tax uh, as a government or as a society, there's no way to do it without e-liability. So anyone who is talking about a carbon tax should embrace e-liability because otherwise, what are you going to tax? You have nothing, you have no basis to tax. What e-liability provides you is something that you can actually tax. 
So in uh, the European Union, there is in the last couple of months uh, a um, proposal for a carbon border adjustment mechanism called CBAM. Uh, and CBAM basically is aimed at addressing the imports of fossil fuel heavy uh, goods and services. Uh, and uh, in fact, I think one of the draft proposals I've seen for CBAM says that if importers are not able to support uh, supplier-specific emissions data, then they would be effectively taxed at the top end of the emissions for that sector. That's actually a great way to get companies to start counting things accurately. And so if something like CBAM has to be put in place, um, then you know there's no way to do it other than e-liability. Uh, and uh, we would hope that the people who are behind CBAM will then take e-liability very seriously because otherwise CBAM wouldn't work. Uh, but at the same time, e-liability does not require a carbon tax uh, mechanism in order to work because, like I said, there are plenty of companies that are uh, in the United States where there's no realistic proposal of a carbon tax anytime soon uh, that are sort of uh, embracing this as a way to just do rigorous counting of their carbon. And why are they doing this? Because it's a basis for competitive differentiation, because they know that they can make their products at much lower emissions than their competitors, and they know that their customers would pay good money for that differentiation. So one of my favorite quotes um, uh, is from a guy called William Temple, who used to be the Archbishop of Canterbury in the 1940s. And he says, the art of government is the art of ordering society so that self-interest produces what justice demands. Um, what e-liability accounting is, is a set of principles that effectively aligns the competitive instincts of businesses and organizations to actually deliver on a decarbonized world. That's all it is. And we're hoping that by introducing those principles, we uh, unleash the competitive forces and the self-interested uh, instinct of business to actually solve the most urgent problem on the planet. It's really interesting. Th thank you again for joining us today and for this really insightful conversation on the e-liability institute and the method and kind of what the next couple of years look like for that and when I wish you the best of luck. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me.